0: Welcome to the Supplemental Lecture for Chapter 7. Today we're going to be talking about hearing and listening. Now, during our in-class lecture, we discussed things like conversations, self-disclosure, social penetration theory, impression management, all of that on the front side of things, on the talking side of things. Well, for the Supplemental Lecture, we're going to be talking about the hearing side of things, so we'll discuss hearing and listening. The difference between the two, we'll discuss listening techniques, and we'll discuss listening's role in perception. A quick reminder, Sunday, February 5th, topic check number four is due via D2L at 11.59pm. There are no other out-of-class assignments due for you this week. So, to begin with, let's talk about the difference between hearing and listening. Hearing something is simply just perceiving sound. It's defined as the perception of sound by detecting vibrations through the ear. This is a passive physiological process. So much less like we would hear a bus going by on the street, it's kind of an individual and continuous process for us. Listening, meanwhile, is the process of physically hearing interpreting that sound and then understanding the significance of it now whereas hearing is a passive physiological process listening is a complex psychological process and critical listening takes it one step further this is careful systematic thinking and reasoning oftentimes it involves what we would call our slow thought or our slow thinking instead of our fast thought our fast thinking using heuristics and the like and critical listening is used to determine maybe if a message makes sense or maybe if it fits within what we know to be true so we're comparing in critical listening what we're hearing and what we're bringing in through the listening process to what we already know and evaluating it, maybe evaluating it as true or false, maybe evaluating it as a new form of knowledge, so that's kind of the difference there between hearing and listening. Now, there are a lot of different ways in which we listen as humans, but there is the Hurrier model of listening, I guess if you're French you could pronounce it Hurrier, but It is an acronym for hearing, understanding, remembering, interpreting, evaluating, and responding. So let's begin with hearing. This is, once again, the physiological process. This is just attending to a communicated message. This is followed by understanding. So this is comprehension of that message that's coming in. Then we have remembering. And this is our ability to recall a message That was sent or received so as we go through maybe we're in the critical listening process we're trying to understand a particular message we go back we remember other messages as well as remembering the message that we just got so it's a matter of recalling in real time next is interpreting so once again We're attending to various factors that influence the message's meaning. We're comparing a message against our preconceptions, against what we already know or believe to be true. And this is certainly the case for any interpersonal relationship. As we interpret a message, we also think about that relationship, the importance of the relationship and our relation to that other person. That brings us to evaluating, which is judging a message's meaning, which is followed by responding. Now, some cases we respond by simply not responding. Once again, ghosting or leaving a message on Red would be an example of a response via not a response. But more often than not, when we're listening, we react to the message. Maybe this is a matter of what's called active listening or just sending signal cues that show the other person that we are listening. So maybe our form of response is a simple nod. Maybe it's a message of acceptance of the message. Maybe it's a message of support. It could be any one of those things. So that's the higher model of listening for you. We're going to go through a lot of lists in today's lecture, and this is one of them. This is the taxonomy of listening, so if you're watching the video version, all five uh, steps in the taxonomy, or all five categories, I should say, of the taxonomy are listed on the screen, but we'll go through them one by one. The first is discriminative listening, and this is distinguishing between stimuli to determine what you should pay attention to. So this is the type of listening we brought up earlier in the semester when we talked about what draws our attention in. So things that are loud, things that are unusual, things that are repetitious. These are all examples of things that we choose to pay attention to. And discriminative listening is how we choose what to pay attention to, essentially. This is our process of saying hey that thing is loud we're going to pay attention to that instead of this more quiet thing over there this thing is really unusual we're going to pay attention to that instead we have comprehensive listening and this is the use of discrimination skills in order to understand and remember what the speaker is saying we do this a lot in terms of maybe in class lectures in terms of meetings in terms of group communication Basically, what we're doing is we're trying to retain as much knowledge as possible. Now, the difference between this and critical listening, which we'll get to in a second, is that with comprehensive listening, we're more focused on understanding the message and then remembering the message. We're not as focused on comparing the message to what we already know to be true and maybe you know, finding chinks in that message's armor, so to speak. We have therapeutic listening where we serve as a sounding board for another person. and We've all been in that situation where a friend maybe has had a bad day and it pays to be a therapeutic listener sometimes. That friend can vent to us and they're not looking for anything. They're not looking for any feedback. They're not looking for how to solve a particular problem. They just want another person to hear them out. They want to feel like they're heard. And therapeutic listening is a great way to do that. Now, where people can get into trouble is... If someone wants a therapeutic listener and the listener, instead of just simply serving as a sounding board, is suggesting all kinds of solutions there to this bad day, that can be sometimes grating for a person that just wants that therapeutic listener on the other side of the phone call or on the other side of the coffee date and so forth. Critical listening is where we analyze a message that's sent in order to determine the acceptability or the validity of a message. We might do this a lot during presidential debates or during a persuasive speech. We might again be comparing this to what we know to determine the validity of the message and might be coming up with internal guidelines as far as maybe the pushback that we might make in response to this message or as feedback to this message. And then we have appreciative listening. This is the act of listening for pleasure or enjoyment. This is the type of listening we partake in when we listen to music, or if we're listening to show tunes, or even stand-up comedy. A lot of times we're not worried about the actual content, we're there for entertainment, we're there for fulfillment, we're there to laugh, whatever that reason is. So appreciative listening, what I want you to remember is this is when we just listen to enjoy something. Now we have our different listening styles. So I mentioned a lot of lists today. This is just another version of the list. So listening styles are defined as attitudes, beliefs, and predispositions about the how, where, when, who, and what of the information, reception, and encoding process. Basically, this is a fancy way of saying these are ways in which we listen and we tend to fall into one of these categories more often than not. Do we change based on context? Absolutely. Just as in some cases we can listen for enjoyment versus listen... For therapeutic purposes, for the person that's talking to us, we can shift in and out of these categories. But generally speaking, as far as listening styles are concerned, we tend to fall into one style more often than the others in our lives. There are people-oriented listeners. This is the first style. They're more focused on the sender than the message. Again, more focused almost on the context of the situation or on the context of the relationship than the message itself. Action-oriented listeners are more focused on what the source wants or potentially what the source could use to fix a problem. So this goes back to what we were talking about with therapeutic listening. If someone is talking and they just want a therapeutic listener and that listener is instead an action-oriented listener, that's when that disconnect might take place. That action-oriented listener might say, well, you could maybe address that problem through this this and this and this and this, That person doesn't want to hear solutions. That person simply just wants to vent. Content-oriented listeners are more focused on the content of the message in order to process it in a systematic way. These type of listeners are also more likely to ask questions of clarification. So they might ask at the end of a particular talk or at the end of a particular segment of conversation, hey, what do you mean by that? Or, hey, question of clarification here. Because they are focused on the content and trying to process it. We use content-oriented listening a lot in a workplace or organization environment. And then we have time-oriented listeners. And these are listeners that can get distracted sometimes based on the delivery speed and the conciseness of the message presented. These are people that might get frustrated if you're taking a long time to tell a story or if you're drawing out a story. Now, time-oriented listening can be a benefit if you're trying to determine if someone is maybe panicked or calm, but more often than not, they're more focused on how quickly or efficiently the message is being delivered. And as i mentioned on the bottom of this slide most people don't just use one listening style we use a combination but we tend to fall into one type of listening in our conversations more often than not next list is the types of listening responses we'll talk about each one of these on future slides but we have silent listening questioning paraphrasing empathizing supporting analyzing evaluating and advising. So let's start with the first two, which are silent listening and questioning. Silent listening. In this circumstance, the listener sends nothing. Now, this can send a potential powerful message. Maybe it's a positive message. Maybe it's a negative message. If you just don't respond, you have a blank look on your face. Maybe you're telling the other person, hey, I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't listening. I was zoning out. Maybe you're telling the person, hey, I'm really angry or upset by what you said to the point where I'm not going to justify it with a response sometimes it can be a positive response if you ask someone for example to think about something and the listener doesn't respond that might be taken as a positive that they are actually thinking about the thing you want them to be thinking about questioning aids in clarifying meaning so once again These are those content oriented listeners. They might ask the questions of clarification. There are a lot of different types of questions we can ask in response after finishing listening to something. So we can ask open or closed end questions. We can ask sincere questions. Or we can ask something called counterfeit questions. And counterfeit questions often include statements or hidden agendas. Or they seek to reclaim conversational power. So one example of a counterfeit question is the, you know, possibly apocryphal one that was proposed once. was, have you stopped beating your spouse yet? So let's look at this question. So it, it is a question, but it's a counterfeit question because it presumes one of two things. If the person answers yes then they are admitting that they at one time beat their spouse or partner if they say no that means they are currently beating their spouse or partner so this is a kind of a gruesome example of a counterfeit question but it's one that's used a lot in different forms of media studies in fact there are various different business leaders that have used this question as a retort to what they see as a particularly harsh line of questioning by media personalities So these are counterfeit questions. Oftentimes they have hidden agendas. Most of the time they're not that straightforward. And if you look at it, especially parents ask a lot of counterfeit questions of kids. For example, if the kid does something that they shouldn't be doing or they're not supposed to and they get hurt, the parent might ask a counterfeit question like, well, that felt good, didn't it? Well, no, it didn't. You know the answer to that question, but the reason you're asking the counterfeit question is because you have that agenda there, which is to prove that whatever the kid shouldn't have been doing that hurt them would be hurtful or harmful in the future now let's talk about paraphrasing paraphrasing is not asking a question of clarification but rather rephrasing what the speaker said using your own words this aids in mindful listening sometimes other times it can become a distraction or it can become annoying to the person that's on the receiving end of this paraphrasing there's a three different types of paraphrasing, you can change the speaker's wording indicating what you think they meant if they didn't say things exactly correct. And sometimes I will use this with some of my floorball teammates, maybe if they don't speak English as a first language, I can say, hey, I just want to clarify, you want to go to the store after practice, right? That's what you're talking about. And that way they can kind of formulate ideas around, yes, that is what I was saying or no, you misunderstood me. The second type of paraphrasing is offering an example of what is being discussed. So if you said, hey, I want you to do the job this way, you could say, well, so if this thing happens, then I should do this thing, right? That would be an example of what's being discussed, although kind of also a question of clarification too. And then the third thing is reflecting on the underlying theme of the speaker's remarks. Now, sometimes this can be a bad circumstance. If someone comes up to you and yells at you, you don't want to say like, mm, I'm picking up that you might be angry here because that's only going to make the other person uh, fly off the handle a little bit more. Let's talk about empathizing and supporting as well. So empathizing is putting yourself in the same situation to understand what the speaker means. And what this does is this conveys that you identify with the speaker's information, that you're getting it and that you're understanding them. And sometimes this can be a circumstance where uh, you know, maybe you're in a situation where you're in a therapy, therapeutic listening circumstance. You could say, "Oh, yeah, that sounds that sounds like it would be really frustrating, or it could be really frustrating." Now a lot of you exercised this empathizing mechanism of listening in that first discussion board post of the year where you were responding to that angry text message. A lot of you said things along the lines of, wow, that sounds like it could be really frustrating or I can't believe that happened to you. That's awful. So that's just words of empathizing there. And a lot of you also mentioned words of support. Supporting is where the listener listener shows the speaker that they endorse or support them. So a lot of times you would end your text messages in the discussion board posts with, hey, whatever it is you decide, I got you, or just know I'm here for you if you need me. This type of support enhances psychological, physical, and relational health. So when you end a statement of response in listening with a supporting message, oftentimes it helps to build the relationship further. The other person thinks that you are listening to them, that you've got their back. You know, sometimes there can be a misunderstanding here, but most often these messages of support are important, especially for those that are looking for a therapeutic listener. So empathizing, supporting kind of along the same channel and that they can both be really well used in circumstances of therapeutic listening. Now, as we wrap up this supplemental lecture, The main thing I want you to remember is that we all perceive things differently. And this is the problem with listening. You could have 20 different people listen to the same message and get... 20 different things out of it. We've talked about that concept a lot during the course of the class, but there's physiological influences. So what is the nature of the actual environment around them? How are they feeling? Are they hungry, thirsty, etc.? There's psychological influences, there's social and cultural influences, and we're always checking things up against our own perception of the situation. So as a result, we tend to perceive things differently. This is why it's important to engage in not only active listening techniques, techniques like nodding along and showing that you understand, but also these questions of clarification. And oftentimes these questions, or even paraphrasing that we talked about, these are things that we don't always do because we're afraid of how it might come off. But these can be really, really important, not only to clarify what the person said, their actual meaning. Keep in mind, we don't always say things we completely mean, or sometimes we hide meanings kind of in between the lines of what we're talking about. And so because of the fact that we perceive things differently, because of the fact that speakers perceive things differently, and because of the fact that, again, impression management comes into play, it's important to sometimes take a step back and think about what is really being said and try to see things From outside our own perceptions even though it can be really 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 difficult to do that does it for this supplemental lecture I know we blitzed through a lot of things super quickly I highly recommend if you read any chapter in the book reading chapter 7 there's a lot of great information there both about conversations which are super super important and about listening which we kind of went through rather quickly on this supplemental lecture Obviously, conversations and listening, two of the keystones to a lot of interpersonal communication research. Once again, a reminder, Sunday, February 25th, your topic check number four is due via D2L at 1159 p.m. And then next week, what we're going to do in class, we're going to clean up any loose ends from the lectures, answer any questions you might have. We're going to talk about the midterm study guide, and we're going to review for the midterm in class. Highly recommend you show up to that class because there will be extra credit available. And also those that show up for the in-class midterm review tend to do much, much better when they take the midterm. That's it for this week. There will be no supplemental lecture this week. So we'll be back two weeks from now with a new supplemental lecture as we move into the second half of the textbook for the second half of the semester.